Look out. Surging up from the depths of the sea. Horrifying, mysterious creatures whose attack on people sends the whole countryside on an endless search. Unless something is done and done quickly. Is this the end of our civilization? You'll pioneer with us the perilous descent into the unknown. What does that mean? What are you even talking about? A deep, penetrating dive. In the last calm and reflective moment before the monsters came. Humanoids from the deep dive. Welcome to the podcast Humanoids from the Deep Dive, where we dig deep into the meanings and contexts of your favorite monsters and monster movies. Each episode, we'll see guests and myself give our take on an important movie monster and or film, and what we think it means using everything from history and philosophy to films and folklore. Today's episode, uh, we will be diving into the monsters of the biggest contemporary working author in horror for decades, someone who has influenced pretty much every horror lover I can even think of, uh, Stephen King. Fans of the show can find us on Spotify, Google, iTunes, Podbean. Basically, if you can find a podcast there, you can find us, and you can follow us on Twitter at HFT Deep Dive. I'm your host, Jeff Ewing. I, I write for Forbes and Looper on genre film with uh, bylines and shutter and all over the place. And I've co-edited uh, books and written chapters on everything from Alien and the Devil to Frankenstein, Hell. Basically, if it's monsters, I am obsessed with it. And I'm very, very, very pleased to introduce our special guest, the host of an excellent, 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 one of my favorite podcasts, other than my own, <laughs> on the Fangoria Network, KingCast, Scott Wampler and Eric Vespi. Hello. Uh, Hi. Thank you so much for being here, gentlemen. Yes, of course. Happy to be invited. Yeah, thanks for having us. Absolutely. Big monster nerds. So, wasn't didn't have to twist our arm much on this one. Yeah, I was just like, okay, I want to talk some Stephen <laughs> King beasties and... There's a very small list of people I'm like, I know who I want on my first show <laughs> on this topic. Well, we are honored to to be making that maiden voyage with you. Right. And and I was under the impression this was a Merchant Ivory podcast. Mm, uh, so yes. I did a whole bunch of really wrong research. It's not going to pay off here, I think. You know mm. what? Just throw it in there. We'll, we'll, we'll make it as chaotic as possible in the end. I want to talk about a period romance with uh, Anthony Hopkins and Vanessa Redgrave. I'm your man. I was going to say that's really weird because I have eight pages of notes about the remains of the day. And <laughs> so, so we came to that independently. <laughs> it's just kind of funny. When I was first starting, uh, deciding what, what specifically, what type of podcast I wanted, uh, for about a week, I was going to do Highlander romances. <laughs> <laughs> so like the most niche thing i could possibly exactly imagine. i'm like yeah. is that too is it should i scale that back again you, you'd be a, a big fish in a small pond if you'd done that one <laughs> yeah, that is true that is very true my, although my to be fair didn't... i thought that that was our brilliant idea when we were like oh we're gonna start a podcast you know we're movie guys but there's a billion movie podcasts so what would we do we also love stephen king why don't we do a stephen king podcast surely there aren't uh at least four dozen of those. And uh, <laughs> we started that and uh, suddenly we're like, hmm, can't use that title because there's already three podcasts with that title. How about <laughs> yeah. How about this title? Oh, nope, that title's taken too by the other four podcasts that I didn't know existed. That's probably the most protracted debate in behind the scenes <laughs> KingCast history for right. what to call the fucking thing. It went on for, <laughs> wait, can I swear on the show? 
Yes, you can. Okay. No. Um, <laughs> I should use too late. Front. Yeah, I've gotten in trouble for that. We'll, we'll just add um, extra swear words if you don't swear. So it's fine. Oh, you're not going to have a problem with that, baby. Bleep out the non swears. <laughs> <laughs> I got we'll bleeped. There. I got a bleeped on a show once, and I didn't realize really how much I swear <laughs> until I was hearing all the bleeps. <laughs> you know, I was like, ah, damn, dude. I got to tone <laughs> bleep, that shit bleep, down. Dude. Yeah. Um, yeah, we we spent weeks going back and forth on on the title. Like, yeah. you know, I had, mm-hmm. I was getting friends and family involved. Like, what <laughs> what do you call this goddamn thing? You know, and then it was like <laughs> the the most simplest thing was was the right answer. Yeah, yeah, I mean the 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 elegance I think is is good. It's a good title. It is. Like There is well, a Stephen King cast and they're good. I like those guys. Um mm-hmm. And I was concerned it might be too similar. Um but uh, they've been very, very friendly to us, you know, uh, didn't feel that way. And, mm-hmm. and thank God, because uh, I didn't want to be a dick. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I was very know. fortunate because I wanted to do like a, 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 I mean, I wanted to do a horror podcast, but there are a lot of those. And um, and so I wanted to do, well, I really love monsters and literary monsters and movie monsters, folklore, all that stuff. So I... But well, there there must not be that many like ones devoted specifically to monsters, and there there are far less than there are specifically horror ones. But there are more than I realized when I started. But they've all similarly been just super great. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very supportive community uh, by mm-hmm. and large. You know, there's always going to be some egos here or there, but like I, I can't tell you how pleasant it was to kind of wade into the the waters, especially the in the horror community. Um, mm-hmm. It's you would think that of all the fandoms that that would be like the the creepiest one to uh, wade into but but horror fans are just like the nicest coolest people uh and mm-hmm. you know and uh star wars fans not so much anymore <laughs> comic book movie fans <laughs> not so much no fucking uh, way would i have done a star wars podcast oh my god <laughs> oh yeah you're just like <laughs> and today's imagine. episode is on um i i don't uh, uh, Luke Skywalker is cool. <laughs> like, <laughs> what topic do you hit where you're not going to get yeah. in the mentions? You know, here's our month long examination of Ellen Slee's bag Gano from <laughs> <laughs> from Attack of the Clones. <laughs> like, is that how you make... say it? I thought it was L. I thought it was Slee's Bagano. Slee's. Well, hey, you put the emphasis where you want to, baby. It's it's uh, a. Well, know, I mean, it is it is all things to all people. Slee's Bagano. <laughs> Slee's Bagano. <laughs> I guess you could say it that way. And Bagano works too. Now. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, there is a character in Star Wars that George Lucas named Sleaze Bag and he sells drugs. So that's <laughs> uh, ext- extremely it, subtle, that one. And all these Star Wars fans say that Disney ruined everything. I'm just saying. <laughs> Look, all I'm saying is you can't, like, unless fans have done the restoration, you can't get the ones without the weird additions and insertions. <laughs> that's right. true. So, like, you know what? We're fine. It's fine. <laughs> everything is equally chaotic and all is good. <laughs> uh so, so by way of just general introduction to the topic, because uh, I mean, does Stephen King even need an introduction right now? Not really. Um, but he became a phenomenon. I mean, not early in terms of his writing, because his his first published novel was his fourth novel. But um, <laughs> Carrie, and uh, but then once that hit uh a lot he just kept basically pumping out stuff and it kept becoming bestsellers 
Uh, and not everything was equally, you know, especially in the early years, not everything was like equally carry banger level, but uh, in terms of like what it sold, but he's basically been publishing between like on average, probably two to three novels a year for since the seventies. Uh, yeah. Late seventies, early eighties. Cause that's when mm-hmm. uh, Richard Bachman stuff started mm-hmm. coming out concurrently with Stephen King stuff. And the whole reason for the pen name was because his publisher was like, like, dude, you can't release two books a year because you're going to saturate the market. Like, that's not how mm-hmm. we do things. And so he was just like, well, fuck that. I got all these books that I, I want to put out there. And yeah, uh, I do what yeah. I want. Yeah, I do what I want. And so he started his <laughs> own, uh, uh, you know, a, a pen name and with a different publisher. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, yeah, that's where it, the Richard Bachman stuff all came from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so fascinating. He's, he's definitely like, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, that's it. I was just saying he's a very oh. prolific dude. So, you know, that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> believe you me, we, we know very well just uh, how many books this, this dude has written. And you're like, oh, oh yeah. we're going to start a Stephen <laughs> King podcast. Well, you know, this is going to be, you know, a great little examination of, uh oh, 70 something titles plus all the adaptations. All right, this is gonna yeah. be this is gonna be a real trek. <clears throat> Are we gonna run out of material? No, like like by the time you've recorded, you know, forty episodes, he will have recorded. He will have written like <laughs> almost as many books. So you're good. Book that was our. Story. That was like the number one question when we started out was, what happens when you run out of adaptations to talk about? But you know, there's um, roughly sixty of them. And mm. as we speak, there are another 25 plus in some stage of development. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, we're never going to run out is the truth. We, we might run out of things to say about some of these movies. <laughs> that is um, possible, but that's when we'll think, lean on our guests. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that mm-hmm. we're, uh, as the show's go, the show has gone on, you know, we're, I mean, important to note, we're not just doing these main feed episodes. We're also doing, weekly episodes on the uh on the patreon that we have which plug is patreon.com backslash the kingcast of course i'm contractually obligated mm-hmm. to uh, point that out um so we're doing two episodes a week you know it's gonna happen mm-hmm. where we just we run out of um standard things to say and so i my hope for the show is that it gets weirder as it goes <laughs> on yeah and and that uh you know we've been now that we feel like we've sort of mastered the format that we set out for ourselves, we are taking mm-hmm. um, bigger swings with uh, the format of the show and and changing it up a little bit here and there. And, you know, mm-hmm. we haven't gotten any pushback on that. You know, we're, we've been very rigid about it, but um, I don't think, I don't think the listeners really give a shit. <laughs> yeah. No, no, mm-hmm. no, they don't. It's uh, you know, for anybody who's listening, who, hasn't listened to our show it's a fairly simple ideas it's usually about uh, us looking at a stephen king adaptation in the original book uh, and we bring in a guest who uh, picks the title and it's usually something that they're very passionate about um, and that helps us a lot too because that's allowed us to repeat some titles mm-hmm, we've done a few mm-hmm. shining episodes done a sh- few pet cemetery episodes um done a few salem's lot episodes and and uh those are all very starkly different because our guest is the one bringing their own personal, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, views Baggage. and passions to, to this uh, thing. So like we did a, for example, we did a, a Salem's lot episode with Brian Fuller uh, of Hannibal fame. And he 
like had this amazing queer reading of Salem's lot and what it means for a small town to hide secrets and, you know, and, and these, you know, European gents moving into the town and opening an antique shop and how he read that as being very codedly gay when he was, <laughs> when he was a, you know, a young queer man or boy trying to figure out, so you know, his, his identity and, and, you know, the feelings he was feeling. Um, and then we had an episode with uh, Barbara Crampton, uh, doing Salem's mm-hmm. Lot, and she didn't have that same background. Uh, you know, she was way more um, interested in the talking about the Toby Hooper uh, adaptation, the TV series, the miniseries that he did, mm-hmm. because that was something that she saw at a, you know, in, in like high school age, and it terrified her. So, uh, you know, so everybody brings a different angle to it just automatically. Um, so thank God for that, or else, or else our our show would be uh, would be just just about out of gas at this point. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's lovely. Like, yeah. like I definitely because the when I first started this, I was like, well, all right, uh, what? Because all the the heavy hitters have been talked about on podcasts like Monster Wise four hundred thousand times. Like right. you have four hundred thousand episodes on xenomorphs in some way right. or Dracula mm-hmm. or this. And so Kevin Spacey. Yeah. Kevin Spacey. <laughs> we did, we're gonna devote a week to Kevin Spacey. Oh, that'll um, be popular. And then I'm going to shower for two weeks. <laughs> but but, uh, but so so usually how I, I do things is either I have a topic me, me or one of the, the co-hosts will have an idea for a topic we really want to find a guest for. Or sometimes, uh, especially in the, the earlier days, we have an idea for a great guest and then bring them on like, like y'all do to talk about whatever they're passionate about. Right. right. And we've been fortunate to cover uh, a whole bunch of random stuff like Grim Reapers. And we did uh, an episode on biblically accurate angels, uh, Jin. <laughs> Like really cool out there stuff, and so uh, it, you know who's I, obsessed with gins is Kumail Nanjiani. He's been on the show yes, a couple of times, really, yeah. and like he he's brought it up multiple times of that being a, a big like cultural thing for him growing up, and that his dad used to freak him out by like telling him like a gin was under his bed or something. Oh, that <laughs> is the yeah. coolest ever. Like yeah. place, wasn't he like? Wasn't Kamel's dad like placing a radio around the house or something? Or <laughs> yes. like a fucking <laughs> like a okay. talk, a receiver, and, and he talk, would like yeah, talk and then through talking it. through yeah. it like Kumail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I had a friend back in when I lived in Chicago who uh, had extensive stories about her family's interaction with gin, and it was <laughs> the coolest thing ever. <laughs> and um, and now I really want to have him on the show <laughs> and have a supplementary <laughs> episode. <laughs> Have you uh, oh. have you discussed uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon yet, or Lagoon Monsters? Uh, we our second episode we did, but that is one of my nice. favorite classic horror films of all time, and I would oh. happily talk about it again. Yeah, that's my. I think that's my. I, I mean, I grew up like kind of obsessed with monsters and stuff, and mm-hmm. I can I, I can draw. Uh, uh, I don't use it like I don't use that uh talent much i don't have much use for it because that's not what i'm doing but i can i can still draw uh, uh very well today when i was a kid everyone just assumed i was going to grow up to be like a comic book artist or something and uh mm-hmm. i got re- repeatedly in trouble for um drawing monsters and stuff and in like sunday school and <laughs> and, and and uh normal school and and all that shit 
Um, you just say it's and, part of the Bible. There's a lot of really fucked up stuff in, in the Bible. Yeah, exactly. Well, the, like, the there's like stone giants and shit. The church mm-hmm. folk got mad at me because one day uh, we they were like, draw a picture of Jesus. And I was like, meh, boring. And I drew a picture <laughs> of Frankenstein instead. <laughs> not, not really kind of like I was too young to understand that I was sort of making a joke of the whole thing. Yeah, because They both came back from the know, dead. Okay, uh, that's right. Frankenstein, much like Jesus, came. Yeah, came back to life. Um, I wasn't clever enough at that time to to know what I was doing, but I think they took it that way, and they were pissed. And uh, you know, I got a like at the end of Sunday school that like they called my parents in and read them the riot act, and uh, I don't remember how that resolved itself, but um, yeah, I had a few situations like that. But I've always yeah. been like a monster guy, a creature guy. I love I love monster design. Me, me, absolutely too. Like, yeah, I always try and uh, uh, when it comes to a really iconic monster like that, take some time out to talk about like the performers, the the sure. exactly because I, I think it's just so cool and clever and and creative and and beautiful. Um, you, you must have reached out to uh, Doug Jones to come on your show, yeah? Have you? Yeah, yeah. I haven't heard back from because he's a busy <laughs> gent, but I'm he working is. on it. Yeah, he, he's um, uh, yeah, he's great. Uh, uh, super nice dude. If you can get him on the show, he's he's the best best to talk to. I, I, we are very distantly acquainted. Like we we've met each other a couple of times over the years. I met him mm-hmm. uh, just doing my thing because uh, I wrote for a, a movie news site called Ain't It Cool News for a long oh, yeah. long time. Mm-hmm. And I uh, it's the one that Cargo was on too, right? Yeah, and I I did a ton of set visits and um, like I remember I went to the set of Hellboy two and uh spent like one day kind of watching ron perlman like or more more likely ron perlman stunt doubled like running around the tops of signs and shit as he's (laughs) as he's uh Mm -hmm. it's like it's that scene whenever that giant monster is like attacking the streets and he's like jumping from Uh signage to signage and then like the other day the second day of the visit we were in a studio and doug jones was doing his like angel uh of death uh appearance where he had like the the wings with the eyeballs and shit on it Mm-hmm. And uh, and so we talked to him, but he was in the costume, which he the he there was like a little crack in the skull plating on the front that he could <laughs> see through. But uh, uh, he did it in character. <laughs> he did like this chat. That is in the character. coolest thing ever. It was the most bizarre, like creepy fucking thing. And that's one yeah. of my favorite Del Toro designs. Mm. Yeah, um, it's great. It's very loud in person because all those eyeballs were. Uh, hydraulic oh so yeah. so every time they would like all open and close you would just hear you'd hear all the motors running and there's like two dozen of them on those wings so it was just two dozen of that sound overlapping with each mm-hmm. other yeah yeah i uh i just want to have you guys on for like an episode just to talk random shop <laughs> <laughs> um we, we, yeah we, we, we got lots of stories <laughs> yeah that's awesome um uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just say this. Uh, we are supposed to have, uh, we have to finish booking the episode. She's a, a busy lady, but Bonnie Aaron's on the show and mm. uh, in, in a future episode, folks at home. And uh, she's extremely talented. So that'll be a blast. Oh, I'm sure. Nice. Um, but that said, um, I'd like to pivot into uh, favorite Stephen King monsters, of which there are so many. Uh, right. Do you find and, folks- and weirdly so few? That's something when I was kind of like scanning through my mind. There's a, there's a million monsters, but there's so mm-hmm. few that like qualify as 
monster right. monsters. He does so right. many human monsters very well. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, like Margaret White, Carrie's mom is, you know, is horrible, is is a, is a bigger monster than most of what he, he writes about. Uh, mm-hmm. um, Mrs. Carmody in The Mist is, is, is oh, very a much. huge monster. Um, Annie Wilkes is a monster from Misery. Mm-hmm. It's like he does these human monsters really well. And, and so I was kind of racking my brain trying to find, you know, anything that wasn't Pennywise, right? Because Jack Torrance yeah. becomes a monster, but he's a guy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um uh, but like Pennywise is, I think, kind of the top of the mountain, right? They're, they're that's the yes. iconic one of. Uh, I agree, or, and he's yeah. kind of a cheat too because it's you're getting your Pennywise, so you're getting the 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 interdimensional murder clown, like right, <laughs> right out of the game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like so you're just not gonna, you know, if you're building a pizza, that's like that's just the crust, the sauce, and the cheese, baby. There's so much <laughs> more about to happen here because yeah. then he can transform into. Mm-hmm. Any monster, you know, yeah, so your werewolf, a, your spider original form. Sure. He even turns into Jaws, the shark from Jaws <laughs> at one point. Yeah. Uh, it's I mean, that's why he is the ultimate Stephen King monster. And, and unfortunately, we're maybe I, I screwed up and, and introduced him at the very top of all this because nothing else really compares. Because as we just said, Pennywise is every monster. He's he, mm-hmm. he's not just a monster. He's every monster. He's everything you've ever been afraid of, as he will uh, <laughs> uh, tell you uh, to your face if you ever run into him. Um, uh, yeah. So that makes At him kind of the time, ultimate. Though, I, I, I would point out that like, <clears throat> you know, when it chapter one was coming out, mm-hmm. uh, like we didn't know what Pennywise was going to look like. You know, there's a description in the book that is very basic. Uh, he's just like basically a Bozo the Clown type clown, right? Right. Um, and and that's how Tim Curry did it. And then when the first pictures of Pennywise dropped uh, from It Chapter One, I remember that first image they they released was him in the pipe. You know, mm-hmm. which which led to a long running Twitter bit that I got sucked into uh, <laughs> involving the pipe, but. You know, you could see he had like little frilly laces and shit mm-hmm. like on his clothing. And he was more of like a, uh, what would you call it? Like, like a, a Victorian era. Yeah, like, like a doll or doll something. Look. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, I remember just clowning this thing, for lack of a better term. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, like, oh, they've over-designed it. Like, it's, it's over-produced. It's like, you know, when... When, when Guns N' Roses finally made that uh, Chinese democracy album and they spent like $50 million or something producing it. And it's like, what are you fucking... This is <laughs> the most like overproduced thing. Emerge yeah. like Pennywise every 16 years or so. <laughs> yeah. This is the original Pennywise design of Guns N' Roses albums. <laughs> but like it was... Um, in, in context, it made much more sense, you know? And, mm-hmm. and that design worked, even though it was more intricate and you know, elaborate than the, the Curry design. And I Mm -hmm. found that really, um, I found that really interesting. I think it lost something in that the, the Pennywise design in the new one is not as friendly looking as the Tim Curry one at at face value. Yes. And that's sort of intrinsic to the character because you want something that kids would, you know, have no problem wandering up to. Right. Cause there's a reason he takes that form first. Right. Um, Or, or it takes that form first, but it's it's just like this paper thin veneer behind which is like totally. chaos and deadlights and suffering. Right. Totally, which is something that the uh, that the movie version, the Muschietti version, gets better than the uh, Tim Curry miniseries one. 
And it's mm-hmm. one of the one of the things I can I can give that credit for over. And I love the Tim Curry version of Pennywise, like the yeah. theatricality of it, you know, the threat of it. I mean, there's kind of this because Tim Curry himself, he's he's just funny and has like this mm-hmm. sexual edge and like everything to to it. It's a great mix, a perfect casting for that. Yeah. But one thing that the the Muschietti version does that I just absolutely love is it really sells the fact, as you said, that the clown isn't what it is and there are moments when Mm -hmm. his lazy eye drifts and you see that it's he just goes blank and you whatever's inside pennywise in that second just isn't there anymore and then it comes back and he he reanimates Um, yeah you know that that to me is such a brilliant subtle thing Mm -hmm. that is so off-putting and it's done right away with the georgie scene and storm uh drain um Mm -hmm. and and it's 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 a genius little little bit there so uh, yeah, know, I, would like to, I would like to go back for just a second to something you said about Tim Curry Pennywise yeah. and how he has like a sexual edge to him. That's true. But also, like new Pennywise, a lot of people wanted to fuck that Pennywise. <laughs> they, well, you the know, werewolf hand in It's all the ruffles. <laughs> yeah. The, the, Pennywise's daddy was like, you know, a thing for a minute. And um, I think. <laughs> was it really I, a thing, though, or was it was it an ironically haha funny thing? Were there, no, like, this was a thing, dude. That, this is a thing. I've seen this happen. And, you know, speaking of movie monsters, it happened with Venom, too. People wanted to fuck Venom. No. Like, um, I don't I don't know why. You know, I don't. I mean, I guess I know why. He's got the big tongue. And I, I guess, you know, with with Pennywise. Explain, explain like, why that's why, why people would be interested in that stuff. Because he would be good at oral is what I'm saying. You know, but there okay. was like, there was, <laughs> look, man, there was a whole, a friend of mine started a Tumblr and it was like just screen caps of people talking about wanting to fuck Venom when Venom mm-hmm. came out. And there was, and I'm certain I saw something similar to this uh, for Pennywise. Like you could, it was, this is a, this is an ongoing thing with the internet though. Oh the yeah. Cause, cause people the did the same is, thing with the Bobby. I don't want to say it's an ongoing then, oh, right. Yeah, people did the same yes, thing with the Babadook. Yeah. And then I started to see art of the Babadook and Pennywise together. <laughs> and I'm like, why? Well, that's a good match. I think they'd be good and they'd be happy together. Yeah. Uh, well, the internet know, wants every like everything just, to fuck. I mean, the internet wants everything to fuck everything. That's that's the whole rule 34 <laughs> shit. Like true. you can type that in, right. you'll fucking see the Simpsons fucking each other or whatever. Sure. The, you know, you're going to do not Google that. You know, please. You're mm-hmm. probably going to get on a list. I'm sure I'm on a list because I, I was curious about that one oh, day. You're and on I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. Stranger Things uh, are, oh, you know, the guy can't look at that. Thank you. But then the internet is going to remember this conversation as you saying, I'll be on your list. And that's exactly what they're going yes. to remember. <laughs> yep. Because everything I'm on all twisted. the lists. Just because the internet wants everybody to fuck everything at all times. Mm-hmm. I don't think that Pennywise and Babadook make a good couple, though. I mean, mm-hmm. are we talking just pure sexual chemistry or are we talking about a relationship? Because just from, you know, a very basic standpoint, I'm wondering, like, how... Like, what kind of conversation are you getting out of the Babadook at the end of the day? Hmm. You know, when you're sitting down to have dinner or whatever, Hmm. it's just like, like, it's just screeching at you. Well, I feel like like... you could talk about old movies. Uh Uh, Babadook doesn't talk, though. He just screeches at all times. Like, you'd get tired of that bullshit. They they, they both feast on grief. They have. I'm not saying they have they don't have a lot in common. I'm just 
What I am questioning <laughs> is the Babadook's ability to communicate that right. in like the, that, you know, a casual fair. setting. I mean, yes. the Babadook could write it, write it in a book. You know, like mm, could well, maybe communicate that way. Yeah, he could <laughs> give he give Pennywise a pop up book. Pennywise yeah. is like, "How was your day, hun?" And the Babadook's <laughs> like, <laughs> and pulls out like a yet another pop up book to explain what what sort of day it just had. Went uh, to the grocery well, store. <laughs> like, couldn't you just tell me? Why is it always a fucking pop-up book with you? And then, and then and, but I think the biggest point of contention for them um, is I really never imagined this going here, and I love it. Uh, is that Pennywise would keep trying to entice kids into the deadlights, and then the Babadook would be like, "Give me the boy," and then just take them out of his gaping mm-hmm. maw mm-hmm. all the oh, time. Yeah, yeah no, they, they stealing would... Pennywise's kills. They, yeah, they would have 100%. to establish boundaries on, you know, which mm-hmm. children of which neighborhood they exactly. call dibs on. Yeah, exactly. That's it's another like thing. A... Is, do they work together? You know, or are they keeping no, their jobs not. separate? You know, they have like, to. They would have to, right? Yeah, yeah they have like know. separate MOs, you know, like. Uh, I, I feel like because Pennywise approaches the children first and the Babadook seems to kind of entice almost the parents first mm-hmm. to get into the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's so, true. That's true. So maybe they just carve off like city territories like telecommunications networks do. They go on a vacation together and they just find the nearest orphanage. They just go <laughs> oh, that's perfect. No, but I'm, I'm glad that uh, y'all started with Pennywise, even though it's, it's you know, the kind of the big gun first, because when it comes to popular knowledge of Stephen King monsters and that connection, it's the, it's one of the ones you have to hit because well, yeah, it's yeah because of Tim Curry's performance, because of of the impact of the miniseries, and now you have like two massive hit movies. Right. Yeah, it's definitely one that people I, know. I would certainly wager that if you took a poll, like went to any local mall, for instance, and took a poll on what title people associate with Stephen King, it would be right at the top. The Shining, mm-hmm. maybe, but I think it yeah. because of the movies just being in the popular culture uh right now that uh that, that's probably the, mm-hmm. the thing that that uh, mm-hmm. would Absolutely. pop up the most yeah i definitely eventually do want to do a standalone episode on the shining and the overlook mm. because uh a lot of people don't really think about it as a monster movie because there's ghosts and stuff and there's a human villain but the overlook itself is like an eldritch location that has yeah. a will and so uh, to me, that qualify the overlook qualifies as a monster, but people don't commonly think of it like that. I think that's fair. I would consider that a monster more quickly yeah. than I would say sign off on. I don't know the lady in the bathtub in two three seven being yeah. a monster or the right. blowjob dog guy. You know, yeah, because like no, because I think those, those are, are the, ghosts. Exactly, you know? those the, are ghosts. The hedge animals right? might qualify. The the hedge animals could could qualify as monsters. I could see that. Yeah, but, uh, but you're right. Yeah, that's it's, true. I mean, well, and this is talking about the book more specifically. The movie, it's right. I don't get the impression from the movie that the Overlook itself is this sentient thing, and I think that's probably because of Dick Halloran's big speech at the beginning, yeah. where it's more about like these impressions of of things that have happened that have lingered. Um, so it's yeah. not uh, the 1408, the room in 1408. I would classify as yes. a monster. Like that thing, mm-hmm. that thing is yep. fucking with anybody that goes in. It's just mean mm-hmm. and cruel, and you know that room in that hotel in the Dolphin Hotel. 
and it uh, can play with like uh like time and space and your perceptions right. and like everything's fair game right there's a there's a mischievousness to that room mm-hmm. too so that the, yeah. there, there is a I, little... I think that the the overlook comes across as a monster more so in in dr sleep by a little bit mm. Well, it definitely feels like a weapon in Dr. Sleep, and that's what yeah. Danny uses it as. You know, it's dangerous, and it obviously doesn't turn out too well for Danny doing it, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, yeah, you could say that the overlook's like a, a gun, almost, that is that is used. In yeah, the, exactly. In the Absolutely. movie, in the book, the the, the book more follows the, uh, the Shining, uh, the follow-up to the Shining uh, book, which at the end of that book, the overlook burns down. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. Uh, yep. There is a similar like showdown at that area, but it's like uh, in the burnt out husk of the of the overlook, not the mm-hmm. still standing remaining dusty version. Where <laughs> yeah. like, and I love Doctor Sleep. I love Flanagan's Doctor Sleep to death. You know, but there is a little bit of a jump you have to make <laughs> in that that this place that was mm-hmm. you know a murder scene that was supposedly shut down or whatever that's still exactly immaculate and all all the uh, the murder scene stuff is still yeah just no one's been there just yeah, had the, the doors still on the lights yeah, yeah. so yeah. There, there's a little bit snapping. of jump but it, it's too cool where you don't give a fuck yeah 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 i feel like the uh because kubrick took uh license with uh the shining a point of contention for king obviously uh it's like dr sleep the novel is a sequel to the shining the novel and then the movies are a sequel to each other yeah now yeah. that's the genius of flanagan and, and dr sleep and we've talked about this a couple of times on the show but it's you know that that's the line that he had to walk there is he made a sequel to both kubrick's movie and king's book and mm-hmm. somehow married the two together in a way that mm-hmm. you know i nobody really thought was possible it's, yeah, uh, I th- I, yeah, I found it pretty satisfactory. I, I was very happy with it. Uh, yeah, me too. Uh, I, I think one of the more recent novels that I really absolutely loved was Revival. Oh yes, mm-hmm. yeah. So for the for the folks at home, because it's a little newer one, like every pretty much everybody knows the basics of it. It's been in the the zeitgeist right. for forever, all uh, by by modern standards. <laughs> Uh, I grew up with it, you know, uh, but for revival is a newer novel, the folks at home. So Charlie Jacobs is this young hip minister who comes to town and this tragedy happens. I I won't spoil it. It's, it's not much of a spoiler, but uh, you just need to know that a tragedy happens. And so it starts this fall from grace. He denounces God. He gets kicked out of the town and he'd made this young friend, Jamie Morton, who grows up uh, an addict and he he basically sort of rediscovers that Jacobs has has started to rebrand himself in a way as a sort of a weird sort of faith healer. Mm-hmm. He uses electricity, uh, we come to find out, which is something he'd been obsessed with the entire time. And he pulls in Jamie to... Uh, he ropes him in for one final experiment. This this big, massive thing that he's been building toward his whole life. Jamie Jamie's really reluctant, uh, but uh, Charlie Jacobs claims to have discovered a quote unquote secret electricity, which is what he claims to use in his his faith healings as he goes around the country. And what we discover in his final experiment uh, is one of the bleakest endings that I can think of in any mm. Stephen King novel. It's the bleakest. 
it's yeah, hands it's, down it, the the darkest ending he's ever written. Yeah, it's yeah, existentially <laughs> devastating. Mm-hmm. It's fucking horrifying. Yeah. I it's, it's, yes. Sorry, go ahead. Well, do you want me to say what happens at the end of the book? Yeah, yeah, go for it. So, spoiler warning. But okay, yeah, huge yeah. spoiler warning. And I'm I'm reticent to even talk about it because you know the 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 power of revival comes from its ending. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and I'll, it, I'll yeah. right. Well, I have more thoughts on revival, but if we, for now we're talking about the ending. Um, yes. And yes. So, so he is. Um, Jamie is trying to bring back. Uh, it's his wife, isn't it? Or uh, who is it that he's fucking? Yeah. Uh, who's in the bed at the end? Uh, it's been a minute since Mary... I read it. Just a second. I'm. I'm forgetting. Yeah. I'm just spacing the name. It, actually, it doesn't really matter. He's he what he's trying to do in his final experiment is get a window into the afterlife and find out what is what what awaits mm-hmm. us after that. He's got a um a very 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 recently dead body in bed. Like I think I think when the you know the the fireworks of um, right. revivals ending start start going off like she is alive but then she dies and while on the yeah. table like flatlining he uses his uh various electrical secret electricity tricks to gain uh insight into what awaits us after death and that's when you mm-hmm. find out that uh reality life as we know it is utterly meaningless that there is this other dimension called the null where mm-hmm. human beings are essentially enslaved and killed at all times by uh, like a race of giant ants, you know, who yeah, are like driving like... them along, marching them through this like, you know, post, post, post dystopian mm-hmm. hellscape. And that that's a, what's a way that that's what awaits all of us after mm-hmm. death. It doesn't yeah. matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how bad you are. Like, this is where you're going. And, mm-hmm. um, they're all like given a glimpse of this world and, you know, and then the, the book wraps pretty quickly after that. I think there's maybe yeah. 20, 30 more pages and you yep. you do come to find out that the preachers, the, the, the secret electricity he was using to like um, faith heal these people, like drives most of them to suicide, um, you mm-hmm. know, of course, and then they end up in the null and you know, you're left with a main character who has this knowledge that once he dies, once his already very shitty existence wraps up, you know, he's mm-hmm. got this to look forward to. And it is just existentially uh, crushing. And I, I'm assuming you're bringing this up because of the giant ant monsters. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The giant ant monsters. And then also <laughs> the um, there's this basically it describes it as this, like, like you said, this hellscape, dis, like destroyed city and ruins right. with a paper sky so this thin veneer of normalcy in this chaotic dimension hmm. and lovecraftian as fuck absolutely Huge. and then Big the time. only thing other than the ant monsters and the basically perpetual line of chained souls is uh this giant spider leg thing comes at, down from a being called mother who's supposed to be like the head of these, like this pantheon of unseen gods. And all he sees of it is this massive spider leg that, it, that is, uh, 
at the end of it is like a claw with human faces. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a claw King made of faces. Uh, swinging for the fences with this one. <laughs> yeah, so that 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 tries to merge into our world. So basically, there's this thin veneer of reality, and and this is not just like a bad afterlife you can get pulled into. Like Pennywise can pull you into the deadlights, right? Yeah, right. Um. Mm-hmm. This is like, no, what happens to everyone, like you said, good or bad, your grandma, whatever, is we die. Instantly become like part of a slave conga line pushed along by these ant-like monsters uh, to feed the, I don't know what they even do with the souls and I don't want to think about it. (laughs) Beings that we can't even comprehend in this thin veneer of fake reality at the end of time. There's this suggestion to that whole sequence that there is no purpose to it. I mean, I, I mean, it's it's unveiling the purposeless purposelessness of life mm-hmm. itself, you know. And so, my impression is that there is no purpose to whatever they're doing. They're just driving humans around like cattle and destroying them on on every conceivable level, like physically, uh, from their souls, just emotional, like in every sense of the word, they're being like annihilated. And that's it. <laughs> you know, I don't know that there mm-hmm. is a, a grander purpose to what those creatures are doing. Um, mm-hmm. It just seems like, and, and the name of the play, like the null, the fact that it's called the null, uh, to me, it, it it calls to mind just nihilism. You know, so I'm I'm thinking mm-hmm. that there is no purpose that there that it's just it's madness and horror and and pain. That's it. <laughs> it's so fucking yeah. bleak. And, and <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, some years ago, Mike Flanagan was enact, uh, uh, announced as the, the director of a revival movie. And he wrote a script. He adapted it. Um, this was going to happen through Warner Brothers, and then it didn't get made. And without telling tales out of the school, I will say that I got to assume <laughs> that the ending played a role in their decision not to move forward with this. But yeah, they're like, how, the, how do we like, market this ending? Well, how do you market the movie at all? You know, because mm-hmm. like that's that's the thing, you know, and that's what I almost got sidetracked saying a minute ago. Revival is sort of like um, if you were reading Frankenstein from like Igor's perspective or something. You know, yeah. I know Igor wasn't a character in the you know what I'm saying, though? It's like a tertiary mm-hmm. character who suddenly becomes the main character. And so he's like kind of right. he like bobs and weaves in and out of the preacher's yeah. life. Yeah, he's like the then, stand in for us, really. Yes, yeah. yes. And so like typically in a book like this, you would follow Jamie, you would follow the preacher and be like, you know, his experiments over the years. And, you know, he's a he's a fucking supervillain. He's like he's like, right. Lex oh, Luther, absolutely. You know? Yeah, exactly. Like he has a tragedy, denounces God and he's like, I'll fucking show you. Yeah, like, but the the story is just absolutely not told that way. It's like told from, again, this tertiary character's point yeah. of view, which is yeah. that's super interesting about it, and mm-hmm. that's what makes it like you you'll read through revival and it's like what four hundred pages. So for like three hundred yeah. pages, you're like, what the fuck is this? Like, what? Am Where I is this going? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it's very slow in terms of pacing. It is. And it's it, good. It, the guy's got a slow. drug problem. Then he ends up working at like a radio station or something. And you're like, and you're I like, don't care about your. your <laughs> yeah. Why do I care about your preacher friend? <laughs> yeah. Well, what ha- Like the experience of reading revival is 
to see glimpses of this way more interesting story going on in the background. And you're like, why are we not following that guy? And then in, in the end, it flips. And like suddenly, like he's now he's in the shit. You know, now he's yeah. getting a front row seat to the most horrifying, you know, uh, possible conclusion. Um, that's the power of revival. You know, I yes. think it's I, I think it's my favorite King book of the last 10 years, probably. It's just mm-hmm. so, so, so upsetting. Like, yes, <laughs> the ending was spoiled for me on that one. Just casually in some. Me too. I, to be I, honest. I remember like I was looking up something for the show and was reading some. Mm-hmm. Something about a, a completely different property. And then there was a paragraph that just casually spoiled the ending of Revival. And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, but I was right. But you, I, but you, I, you actually didn't read it when it came out. It was one of those you were saving in your, right. your, uh, and your then, rainy day book. And then yeah. when it was spoiled for me, I was like, say what? What fucking <laughs> happens in this book? Like, <laughs> like, you say ants? Ant creatures? In some place called The No? Like, what the fuck? And I, you know, I immediately got the book and read it. And... um you know, so I was spoiled going into it. I didn't, but it still horrified the shit out of me. I had trouble sleeping for a few days after that one. And um, yeah, that is not typically my experience with a the average King novel. Yeah, I, I actually had it spoiled for me too, because I, I had a general post. A friend and I were going to read some Stephen King together. And then I just asked over over Twitter and, and I, I engage with a lot of people that are, are big into horror, uh, what what people's favorite King novels were. And then, you know, you got a lot of the usual suspects, but then someone that knew me pretty well was like, have you read Revival yet? And I hadn't. It was still fairly new. Um, and they're like, oh, well, you'll really like it for this reason. And I'm like, <laughs> I think I know what happens now. Cool. But right. also I'm buying that book. <laughs> yeah, It's a weird one because the the punchline is almost the selling point of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I don't know how you would sell that. I mean, I'm picturing the trailer for a revival movie and it's like a preacher and a kid. And then it's a slightly older preacher and a young man and so on and so forth. Like a battle. So of like wills. a drug addict has like a preacher buddy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this guy's doing weird shit with electricity. And maybe there's some shots from, you know, that final sequence where, I don't know, a body is like sitting up in bed when it shouldn't be. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, but like you couldn't show and I don't know. Uh Flanagan sent Vespi and I the the script that he wrote for it. I'm not sure if he wants us like talking about that in any way, but I will sure. say that he plays the ending a little bit differently. And and I still just don't know how you would fucking market this thing. I just I Oh yeah, because because the book is weird because it, it, it's like the structure because so little kind of happens. It's very emotional. It, it's a really good novel. I mean, okay. So a lot happens that is like really emotive that builds character, you know, like standard novel stuff. But in terms of a horror novel, it's not really horrific. And no. then it's structurally, it's kind of like if someone were like, I'm going to knock you out. I'm going to punch you in the face. I'm going to knock you out. And they're just talking at you for 30 minutes. And you're like, okay, this guy's all talk. And then he hits right. your face and your head spins around like a cartoon character. That's, exactly. that's, that's a great description of it. Yes. Um, <laughs> but I, I mean, yeah, I would, I would have loved to have seen, I would love to see a version of that movie that goes whole hog with it, but I, I cannot imagine a major studio putting it in theaters. That's a thing that you throw on. Yeah. That's a thing where a streamer has, you know, 
50 Apple million TV's dollars for you yeah. yeah and they're just like oh it's a stephen king thing and oh this guy's directing it uh, okay well yeah go do that do you want to read the script no that's fine just go ahead <laughs> you know you would need you would need that sort of <clears throat> that lack of a studio notes process in order to do revival right yeah exactly right. here's a blank check and just do your thing and we won't check in on you for for two months yeah um right, to uh, get martin scorsese on this six it's... months later they're in a screening room like what the fuck did we just fund were those hands? <laughs> what is this honestly though uh, i joked about scorsese but he would actually kind of be really because this is uh, revival is in a lot of ways thematically similar to silence the yeah the scorsese sure. uh sure. movie because uh-huh. they're both very anti-organized religion anti-faith yeah. almost and have a character you try and like find that's like fallen out of right. the faith they were once like keely tied to yeah so uh mm-hmm. so there you go <laughs> revival like, of okay. stephen king's silence marty <laughs> this is cinema <laughs> Like, that'll that'll sell a billion tickets. <laughs> I I love it. Uh, I'm also so glad that we got to talk about one of my favorite King novels in a long time. I love sure. it so much. Um, good shit. Are there and, any other great recent or or not even recent? Are there any other great works whose creatures kind of really grab you, gents? Well, uh, to keep it on Stephen King, um, the werewolf and mm-hmm. cycle of the werewolf is great. You know, mm, and right. brought <clears throat> brought to life, I would argue, uh, more by Bernie Wrightson's illustrations in Cycle of the Werewolf than in the movie or even via King's writing. You mm-hmm. you look at those images and they lock in your head. In my head in in my mind, that's what a werewolf looks like. Is Bernie Wrightson's werewolf ripping that cop's face off in a fucking cop car. Like that's exactly what a werewolf looks like. Mm-hmm. Um the uh the thing floating in the lake in the raft is another mm. one you know um, yeah lob yeah uh the oil slick or whatever it's described as yeah the outsider from the outsider who yep. mm-hmm. you know that's another interesting dimension to the uh to the whole pennywise conversation is you know this idea that king has revisited on several occasions now of you know a monster whose whose species um feeds on the emotions of human beings Mm-hmm. And it it's Pennywise and it's it's fear. Um, the last uh, this is spoiler for the Dark Tower, but in the seventh book you meet uh, a variation on this creature that feeds on laughter. Mm-hmm. And then in The Outsider, it's a uh, you know I would argue it's the same species of creature that is feeding on grief. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I find that whole thing very interesting yeah yeah uh, that's another one of my favorite recent ones because uh so um the outsider for the folks at home the the outsider basically uh goes from location to location it is is like pennywise a shapeshifter and 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 like y'all said he's a consumes emotion but it's grief and basically takes the face typically as as we see of of someone in the town uh and then commits the most heinous acts you can even think of like terrible community destroying things and then just sits back and like Mm -hmm. eats the grief and moves on yeah it sticks around and that's the the thing is it because it's not the act of 
Yeah, because we actually see Pennywise like legit eating, <laughs> eating kids yeah. and 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 stuff. But like, what this thing feeds on isn't flesh and blood, and it might kill children, but it's doing it so it could see how that destroys the family and then how that mm-hmm. destroys uh, the you know the family of the people who lost their kid and also the family of the 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 person that it imitates right and, and then causes fear in the frames. community and mm-hmm. right and then the you know it, it the, the community starts fighting with each other and and uh and that's what it sits around and feeds on and it's uh that is such a barn burner book uh just by itself because before you even get to any of the monster shit it is um, it is just so compelling on the central question of how could this guy, Terry Maitland, who is, you know, the, 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 the little league coach and everybody's friend, you know, be accused of murdering a child. And, uh, and also then, you know, you find out he has evidence that he was in completely out of town. He was in a different place at a different time. Mm-hmm. So how can there be all of his DNA and fingerprints and security camera? How can two people or one person be in two places at the same time? And that's mm-hmm. the central question of that. And then, you know, King of course answers that with a monster and uh, right. Right, uh, right. And that's something that he's been very um, focused on. Like the, the outsider creatures is, or variations of that has now popped up a couple of times since the outsider there's, um, in his novella collection, if it bleeds, there's another story of Holly Gibney, who's the one of his like new favorite characters, a detective. Right. Yeah. Um, she finds another outsider, and then you know, then there's like little hints of uh, the outsider kind of in later as well. It's it's more in the Pennywise vein, like directly tied to it mm. that, that creature okay. is. But uh, um, you know, but it, it's in kind of a similar vein of of uh, of creature, and you can tell that right now that's what King's interested in. Cause that's what he keeps returning to in some form. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really <clears throat> like that. Like, um, cause, cause you, you were right earlier that the, in a lot, especially a lot of his earlier novels, there were some absolute bangers with, with, with creatures like, like Pennywise in a fairly early novel or beings with, they put on a human facade, but they have a lot more supernatural ethos. Like you're, you're, you're walking man you're walking dude yeah, randall flag is a, a big one that exactly. we haven't touched on yet yeah exactly and, and I'd, I'd still like to but i i love that that a lot of his more recent stuff and i haven't read like the institute uh there's i don't no know what monsters it's in the is. institute that that one's uh mm-hmm. a little bit more fire starter so cool. like the shop okay. comes back and it's all about kind of these it's like Firestarter or like uh xavier's academy kind of thing where there's yeah this organization that keeps kidnapping all these talented mm-hmm. kids and it's, it's all okay. them in this uh, Institute <laughs> for okay. lack Even of a better descriptor. Mutant. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and, uh, and it's like them trying to figure out how to escape. So like, Oh, so it really is like you're saying the new mutants. It is. It's new it's mutants and, and, you know, meets Firestarter for sure. Cool. To, uh, uh, a, a creature from King Lore that is wild goes wildly unrecognized because no one seems to give a shit about this book is uh, the little bald doctors. <laughs> right. Um, I love these guys so much. Uh, their name, as it as as their name would imply, um, they are literally little bald doctors, like <laughs> little little dudes, just little guys uh, with bald heads running around in like old school doctor coats. Right. Each one has a giant pair of scissors. 
Uh-huh. And they're using that to like sever the fucking what is it? Like the soul or the essence of a yeah, person? They're, they're like lifeline. Right. Yeah, they're, kinda. It's, it's time been on so many fucking years since I read that book. But um I love those little dudes. They're just scamps, you know? They're they're up to their old tricks, <laughs> they're doing their thing, you know, and just destroying souls left and right. Um mm-hmm. this sort of gets lost in any discussion about insomnia because insomnia is a book about abortion and uh, yeah you know that's going to overshadow any other that's it's that's a big enough topic to overshadow the fact that this book also mm-hmm. contains little bald guys <laughs> with scissors running around cutting people's lifelines yeah yeah <laughs> you know? exactly um, and then like the big conflict is like two of them like two of them try and do a good job and one of them's like what else <laughs> like yeah one of them is just goes rogue. It's just like, yeah, no, I don't. Yeah, I'm not into this. Fuck you. And then there's I also don't like all the. This. <laughs> and there's also all the alien shit that, that King has done. You know, the Tommyknockers count as monsters. Mm-hmm. Uh, the aliens and yeah. Dreamcatchers. Yeah, the shit weasel for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah possibly yeah, yeah. the aliens in uh, Under the Dome. Yeah, I don't. Man. I have such a conflicting or a conflicted relationship with Under the Dome because I was very mad when I read that book and got, you know, 3000 pages later, got to that ending. Um, Mm -hmm. But we had um, who was it? Uh, It was uh, Zach Dion, actually. Uh, Shout out to Zach Dion, uh, a fellow um, King fan and uh, a very good. Like King is his beat. He's written for a number of places, but um, is a, a, a king authority, basically. And he came on the show to sort of like defend o- Under the Dome because Eric and I are like, fuck that whole thing. <laughs> and kind of rewired how I look at that book because he was like, well, when you look at it, the whole novel is really about bullying and, you know, how that affects this, that and the other thing for these characters. And that's why it's thematically appropriate that at the end, you know, the aliens in under the dome sort of, they're ultimately appealed to by their, their sense of right and wrong as it pertains to bullying. And I had never really made, I had never found that through line for it. And that, that sure that did change my opinion of it and, and made me like it more, but I'll be goddamned if I'm going to read it again. You know, I, I, <laughs> I might, fair. I might read that, <laughs> that ending again, you know, but, uh, that's a long ass book, dude. Yeah, that's how, that's how I kind of felt about like the ending of it. I'm like, oh, so they kind of they defeat Pennywise by bullying him. Well, they, yeah, they do that in well, the movie. Yeah, 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 in yeah the that's movie. not in the movie. Really in the movie. In no, the, book, the ending yeah. of the movie. I, I was like, right. like, wait, oh, no, why it's... are they bullying Pennywise to oh. death? The, that's one of many sour notes, I think, in that in it chapter two. Uh, I, I like a lot works. of what they do in chapter two, but the, you know, that, that whole extended, you know, how we're going to beat him is, I get the con- the idea of we're going to take away his power and, and, yeah. uh, and not be afraid of him. Uh, you know, that's great. That goes back to Freddy Krueger and, you know, of all course. sorts of, you know, all sorts of mo- classic movie monsters. I get it. But to legit, just turn it into a bully to the point where they, I, I, I just found this out a couple days ago, actually, they, they put a kid in the penny in a Pennywise mask, like when he shrinks down and before he like <laughs> yeah. does a, what he does like a, a pancake 
does the pancake head thing yeah, that yeah, happens yeah. at the yeah. end. Yeah. Right that before that, when it's crawling backwards, they put a kid, a kid like they made like a kid body size Pennywise outfit. They put, <laughs> they put a mask and he's crawling backwards, you know, as the adults are bullying this fucking thing and shouting at him. And then, then he turns into the pancake head and it's uh, once again. Um, Get in there, uh, Tremblay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they shove him in a locker yeah, you, 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 you shiver <laughs> you, yeah I exactly your fear. Pennywise yeah, was wedged to death yeah I should have <laughs> clarified in chapter 2 like I, I don't know I love chapter 1 I did oh yeah um, oh, yeah. and then chapter 2 the, the two things that I kept coming back to that soured it for me were one I'm like why are they, why is it ending with them bullying Pennywise it just didn't yeah. track with me and then also I know it's kind of like the novel to some degree, but I thought it was a little bit structurally repetitive where it's like, okay, well, let's split up. Here's where I had an encounter as a kid and then then as adult and then second person, kid, adult. For all five of them, it was like a video game. Right, because then they, uh, unlike the book, the book, it's it's all about um, them remembering. And that's why they have to go off their separate ways. And here they're like, now you're on a quest, each one of you to find a totem. Yes. So we can put it in this magic Indian drum. And you're just like, what the fuck is really? That's your, your solution (laughs) to this. I mean, listen, it was was always going to be the toughest of the two. um, Sure. Yes. uh, To, to do. And because the kid's story is just way more interesting. It just plain is. Um, I think they miscast a couple of people, you Mm -hmm. know, there's a lot of missteps. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm a big fan of Andy Muschietti. I'm a big fan of what he did to design and set up this world. And, uh, yeah. you know, it, so I, I want to put that out there that, you know, there are things in chapter two that work extremely well and a lot of really good ideas, but it's, yeah, you know, on the whole, it's just such a, a misstep. And I say this, I went to the premiere of it. Chapter two, I had a friend mm-hmm. that worked at new line and he gave me his premiere ticket. And uh, like I had his seat cause he was like hosting the party, which I wasn't invited to, which is the real reason I don't like it. Chapter two. Um, <laughs> no, but, uh, uh, but I, I saw the movie and I was so excited. I'm sitting there, you know, I'm in the lobby beforehand and you know, fucking what's his name? Jackson, Robert Scott, Georgie is like walking around mm-hmm. taking selfies with people and his little tucks and there's fucking James <laughs> McAvoy and there's, you know, like all these celebrities yeah. and shit. I'm like, Oh man, this is going to be great. And I'm sitting there and it's at the theater in Westwood and you're and fully like, nude. Cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. Fully nude, fully erect <laughs> waiting for this movie. And, uh, uh you and know, nothing but plays. like a yellow slicker. <laughs> yes. And my, uh, my friend who worked at new line was like, Oh man, what'd you think afterwards? I'm like, Oh man, it's, it's such a letdown. And he was just like, really? I don't like, I love it. I think it's great. And I'm just like, I'm sorry, well, man. I, I didn't like it. Yeah, you would say like, that. The, the ending, the ending was like a fucking God of War, um, you know, quick time event that went on for thirty minutes. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've, I've given that movie so many chances. I, I went and rewatched it not not all that long ago, and it's like once they get into that fucking thing where Pennywise becomes like a big spider monster, yeah. and they're like, <laughs> they're kind of like running. Forever. Yeah, they're just like running around that room, and then they go into a side tunnel. And yeah, Pennywise can't get into it, so then they like loop back around in this tunnel to another entrance, and Pennywise can't get into that, and then they go back to the original <laughs> entrance. It literally is like, just reaching. Just this? the entire film feels like a video game. It's like like right. cutscene, 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 cut. and like I I feel kind of bad because some of these particular moments really do work for me as an isolated, like as a short film. You know, sure, like, there are moments like, that work for sure. Absolutely, like like the demonic Paul Bunyan. Like, yeah, I actually oh, liked yeah. how they did that scene. That was really yeah, it turned cool. Out, turned out really good. 
Yeah, there's like a whole lot of stuff. Like if I just take them in isolation, I love it. But I I couldn't like I remember about like 45 minutes in going like, okay, uh, after the first person's like childhood thing and then adult thing in the same area and they switched the second character, I'm like, it's going to be like this the whole fucking time. (laughs) And I was right. Yeah. And I was so sad I was right. Well, and here, uh, here's the problem is this, the thing that, that it works so well, especially with the kids story um, and what Muschietti does with it is the reason why that works is because you love them as a group, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You love right. the dynamics, you know, you love how Finn Wolfhard's playing Richie and, and how he riffs on Stan and, you know, how he riffs on Eddie and how Eddie, yeah. you know, dishes mm-hmm. it back and you know, like, and, you know, uh, how, you know, Ben and Bev's, you know, crush you know, thing going on and yeah. all these dynamics work so well. And then, in, and this is, in, you know, a problem with the book itself and uh, in any adaptation is that it depends on you splitting up that group and, and right. uh, they're just not as interesting solo. That's just the, the, the problem. They're not as interesting as adults, you know, cause right. you're yep. not as scared for them and they're not as interesting by themselves. And they also don't have like, they didn't, they didn't build those connections over so many years. They're like coming back together. So like right. that group dynamic is now odd and awkward and like, Oh, I vaguely remember what happened and I don't really even know you anymore. Like that, that connection and that shared like us against this entity thing is, is right. kind of gone too. Yeah. <clears throat> and you know, uh, because we're running out of time, I, I do want to make sure I get this in there, but, um, or in here, uh, there's, there's a shit ton of monsters and creatures in the dark tower series. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, they're falling out of the woodwork in every book. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, um, I'm a big fan of those Tahin, the guys with the, uh, the animal yep. heads that are just yep. barely being contained under those masks. Um, mm-hmm. I like those. And I like that final uh, sequence in the wastelands when they're on the, the, they're on the monorail and they're sort of like going through yeah. the, yep. the geography and they're uh, encountering all sorts of horrors. Yeah. All yeah. sorts of fucking, there's like, yeah. It's like the monsters. It, there's right. if like you, giant, if flamingos. you haven't seen that, or if you haven't read Dark Tower, um, imagine if you've seen Fury Road. It's kind of like that that moment where they like see all those like long legged creatures and shit in the the fog. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah. what the fuck is going? This isn't. This is a western. You know, or a this whole is a, other movie. Whatever. Yeah, on there's here. a whole other movie on. There's a whole sequence in the Dark Tower. Where they're going through the wastelands on a. <laughs> a sentient <Yeah>. riddle loving <laughs> monorail that, that's gone uh, insane that's gone insane and is you know when they reach their destination it's gonna fucking destroy everybody on board but as they're going through this thing they're just seeing all these crazy things that would be their own fantasy series in their own right as they're going going by by them yeah um, but, mm-hmm. but also speaking of wastelands uh Shardik, the giant robotic bear yes is yes. is one of my favorite things there there's um these things that are called guardians they protect um oh shit that's my alarm the Sorry. fucking cops dude is oh, the no. cops are here uh but they're called guardians they're he, there to protect doorways between midworld which is where this series takes place and uh alternate world sometimes keystone earth mm-hmm. which is our world and Blah, 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 all this stuff. But each one is protected by essentially a monster. In the Wastelands, there's a monster on our side that's a a living house that, like, Mm -hmm. literally comes alive. And, you know, this is, you talk about Overlook being kind of a monster. Like, this is a literal monster. Like, it, the boards become teeth and, you know, and it, you know, Mm -hmm. it forms a face and tries to eat a kid. 
Um, and uh, on the uh, the other side, there's like um, uh, they they pass by Shardik, who is this giant giant bear. We're talking like Godzilla size, like you know, bear mm-hmm. with a, a radar dish on his head because he's a robot. <laughs> and also, that, you that find, was and, and you find yeah. out that like they're they're the guardians are all at the end of. Man, we're getting into deep nerd territory here. But because <laughs> like, because just a heads up on on the show, this is a deep dive podcast, and we always end by talking about really deep mm-hmm. meanings and themes and stuff. So okay, the so, weirder the better. Okay, so Midworld is like divided into. I, I forget how many like points are on this compass, but let's say it's twelve or sixteen or something like that. Right. And at the end of Mm -hmm. each of these, you know, those are the beams that are holding the tower at the center of the the diagram um, upright. So Shardik is a bear who is at the end of one of these lines extending away from the tower somewhere in Midworld. Mm -hmm. And once you understand this, then you also understand that there are all these other fucking gigantic animals, guardians (laughs) that must be at the end of all these other things. So somewhere in dark tower mythology, there's a giant fish, I think is one of them, you know, um, Mm -hmm. you know, ultimately a a giant turtle, which also appears in it, you know, also comes into play here. That's gone, but you know, let's, let's not go down that road. Um, (laughs) That's that's its own thing. Yeah. But I, I remember being like, once that clicked for me, that that knowledge, mm. which I, w- I was, you know, very young when I went. This read. is one of many. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Like, holy shit. I want to see him encounter all of these things. Now you get one. That's it. You know, <laughs> well, I remember it's such a great concept. And King just kind of introduces yes. it, gives you a giant bear. And then it's just like, yeah, fuck you. You can figure out the rest. You know, like I remember so awesome. Right. I remember there was this one description and the thing that got me the most was that it, it was kind of like, imagine like a Terminator bear, right? Cause yeah. it's like living flesh over this, you know, mm-hmm. uh, robot and rotting. Um, and flesh. I remember, yeah, rotting. And that's the thing as I remember is like, he described like maggots and stuff like coming out of the drool of this bear and, you know, that right. was feasting on, on the mm-hmm. rotting flesh that's hanging off of this robot thing. It is the coolest fucking random thing. Uh, most random thing. So yeah, Shardik would be up there in terms of uh, favorite king creatures. Um, I, I assume it. we uh, we should also mention like Cujo because um, he's Cujo he's counts. more of he's more of a uh, uh, he's yeah. an, I, he's a monster, but he's a monster more in the Frankenstein vein or the classic Universal yeah. monsters, and that he's a tragic thing yes. because he's just yeah. a dog. He's just a lovely you know loving family dog that right. is you know that goes is driven insane by by rabies and. And uh, the way that, that King writes about it is you get glimpses inside from the dog's point of view a lot, which is something that obviously can't really come across in the movie. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but from the dog's point of view, you just he, he's a, an animal hurting and he doesn't he's just lashing out and that that's it. Um, so that that is, I think, a very early example of like King's sympathy for the monster. I mean, you can say that going back to Carrie, like, you know, Margaret White is is mm-hmm. you know clearly the, the the big villain of that book but right. carrie's the one that murders almost an entire fucking town right but you spend mm-hmm. the entire book in her perspective feeling sympathy for this character and when she snaps you're almost like yeah screw them they deserve it you're like yeah um, i get it i get it yeah. Carrie. but you know but from a completely also, neutral uh, outside perspective she murders a fucking ton of teenagers you know at the end of that that story mm-hmm. yeah there's also the uh the minotaur 
from uh, Rose Matter, <laughs> right. which Ooh. is like another. This is you know this came out the same era as Insomnia. It was in that uh, same window. I think Insomnia is ninety four, and Rose Matter was like ninety five, something like that. Um, and Rose Matter deals with the same sort of uh, world beyond our own shit that the Dark Tower does often. Yeah, and mm -hmm. within that is a. Uh, <clears throat> I don't have. To, I don't, we don't have the time to lay out the plot for Rose Matter, but this <laughs> yeah. this woman ends up like ultimately like going through a mirror into this this world that has a labyrinth in it that is overseen by a Minotaur, who ultimately kills her. Um, violence, uh, abusive uh, ex-husband, and he's a cop, right? Mm -hmm. um, Rose Matter, much like Insomnia, is any discussion of the, either of these properties is dominated by the the issue at the heart of them. Where with Insomnia, it's abortion; with Rose Matter, it's uh, spousal abuse. Mm -hmm. You know, but. It, it, I, Rose Matter is like even more than Insomnia is like a book that people just don't seem to ever talk about. No one has ever agreed asked to talk about it on the show. Like uh, I've rarely seen one of our listeners pop up like asking for a Rose Matter episode. Mm -hmm. um, but there's some fascinating imagery in there. And the fact that there's a big ass fuck like a, a legit a minotaur like in this fucking thing is is pretty interesting the book isn't very good mm -hmm. honestly right. but um yeah you know it's wild that there's this stephen king book out there where the lady goes through a mirror and ends up in like <laughs> some of the like this these sort of ancient grease trappings um doing battle against a yeah. fucking minotaur it's fucking crazy yeah. i love it uh I, I know you guys don't have that much time um and i just wanted to give you the floor for just one more thing because we um uh, you know, we're a deep dive podcast. We love to talk themes and meanings. We've done quite a bit of that just organically. Mm -hmm. um, but is there any other thing anywhere in King's works about these that thematically really sticks with you while we have a little more time? Well, I think the, the big thing, and we've touched upon it, you know, a little bit is his constant examination of religion and the monsters, mm -hmm. you know, of, of the faith that are faithful, the faithful monsters, the Miss mm -hmm. Carmody, you know, as, as we mentioned, there's, you know, uh, there's a whole section of Salem's lot that's examining, you know, faith and misplaced faith. And, mm -hmm. and uh, that is something that comes up in King's work all the time. Revival is a huge, you know, <laughs> questioning faith mm -hmm. movie Absolutely. Um, or sorry, a story. Um, so I think that that's probably where I would go. Like, I, I don't know if I can think of a deeper, uh, monster, you know, below the surface meaning, um, you know, I mean, I guess you could look at pet cemetery, you know, as one of his deeper, uh, stories and, um, mm -hmm. you know, but it, it's, it's a lot of the themes it's either questioning religion and faith, or it is, uh, turning something familiar evil which is Cujo, which is Jack Torrance, yeah. which is the entirety of Pet Cemetery. Like there, those are the things that he keeps going back to over and over and over again. The outsider is that this is a yeah. nice guy, you know, but he committed this horrible act on a child. It's like, but it, you know, it wasn't really him, you know, but it's still, you know, uh, uh, even in Salem's lot, you know, the, uh, the Glick boys coming back and, you know, and, you know, feasting on their, their parents. And it's like, mm -hmm. you know, this thing that you loved that loved you, um, is changed and that is 
really at the heart of so much of King's horror. And I think that that's also, you know, kind of an interesting angle for all these monsters because they're not, they're not, you know, Cujo, like we mentioned before, you know, it's, it's not something that's born evil that wants to take over the world. It's just something that used to be friendly and trustworthy that isn't anymore. And, and a lot of times these things are in pain, you know, Mm -hmm. their own pain and, um, you know, I don't know. I think that that's maybe, maybe the, the, uh, as deep as, as I'm personally able to get on, on, uh, these no, kind of readings, but I'm so glad that you mentioned that though. Cause it actually to, to talk about a non-King property for one second, um, nope. that those sort of themes really kind of, uh, I love how they're, they're present in a similar way. And like, uh, Del Toro, uh, co-wrote the strain, you know, mm, right um, on. where the, the plan to to promote this vampire infestation in the wider populace is to infect folks who will be driven by their corrupted love to go home to their loved ones and consume and turn them right and so it's a similar thing where it's like these things that loved you that that entire thing is weaponized almost right and in a way that is is so perverse but really interesting Agreed. And and a lot of that comes from, you know, Del Toro obviously is very famous for having a love of the monster, right? Exactly. And and when you when you <laughs> when you come at things from that approach, then suddenly it's not just black and white. It's not just this is evil, this is good. Um, you know, you understand the monster, you know, and you understand their motivations, and if you approach it that way, then it does become deeper and it becomes more interesting Mm -hmm. um i mean listen i think one of the best thing king kings has ever written is the stand and that Mm -hmm. is a pretty black and white story all things you know said and done um you know there there it is uh you know and comparing it to a western it's a white hats versus black hats you know the evil Mm -hmm. dudes are in vegas and the good guys are in uh in colorado right they're in Mm -hmm. boulder um, and it's about as cut and dry as that, but they do something really interesting with Randall flag in that he is this, and it, this go, cuts a little bit into my, uh, religion aspect and you know, that, or my religion theory with King is that Randall flag is a cult leader, but he's could also easily be seen as just as much of a, you know, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a fire and brimstone preacher, right? Like mm-hmm. that, that is that character. And the interesting thing about flag is that, um, and the most fascinating part about him as a bad guy is that he seems to be all knowing and all in control of everything. And then that's his power over people. Cause he makes them believe that, mm-hmm. the, that that's what he is. But like he's the second that people start losing their faith in him, when they see that he doesn't really know what he's doing, like he just instantly deflates and you yeah. Know, like he's is, a man, just like, he's like a person just like us at the end of the day. Yeah. It, it, but he's not, but he's got right, he's so full right. of himself that he can't, he, you mm-hmm. know, he can't uh, play it safe. And it is so he, he has a, a crucial fault, you know, crucial fault. He has an Achilles heel and and it's it's all in, uh, you know, his cocksuredness and his, uh, uh, you know, it, his belief in his own cult, cult of personality. And so mm-hmm. even then, even in The Stand, which is, again, a very black and white good versus evil tale down to the, you know, God versus the devil, you know, ending. Um, right. And the the book cover is a a person in white fighting a person in black or a, a person something with a big beak or plague mask or whatever the fuck is going on in that that illustration. I still don't quite understand <laughs> it, but it's uh, you know, but it's still it's a person in white and a person in black, and they're they're in a 
uh, a duel. And uh, but even there, King, you know, grabs onto the gray area with with characters and and, uh, you know, that's kind of what makes this stuff last so much and why I'm so fascinated by his work. And, you know, to the point where I have dedicated over a year of my life to a podcast about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, if there's uh, if there's anything else, uh, I know you guys have to go, but um... sure, there, there could be a whole podcast just talking about the monsters of the mist, uh, which what? Oh. came up. But uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, that, we'll have to save that for another day. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely going to do that's one of another one of my favorites for some surprising reason. It's full of monsters and I like it. <laughs> and, and human themes. and not. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so, uh, well, if you guys would ever like to stop by and talk that one specifically or anything else ever, uh, love to have you on again. Of course. Well, thank you for thank you for having us. This was a blast. Yeah, I, I had such a good time. And uh, where can the uh, folks at home, please remind them where they can find you, your stuff, your Patreon, etc. Eric, you want to take this? You want me to do it? Sure, I'll, I'll do it. We got, right. uh, well, one, we post new episodes every week, every Wednesday. Uh, and that can be found on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Just search for The King Cast and you'll find us. Um, we got a lot of good stuff coming up. Our next few weeks are, are all... Uh, Suicide Squad cast members are, are coming on cool. board leading up to the release of that. Uh, we got some pretty big doozies in the works for, for the fall. And if they lock into place, we're going to be crapping ourselves a little bit, but uh, in good ways. Uh, so lots of really fun guests, lots of stuff to still cover there. You can find us on Twitter at KingCast19. Uh, and you can sign up for our Patreon if you want. We have a lot of really, have a, almost a year's worth of uh, backlog bonus episodes and commentaries and whatnot. You can do that at uh, patreon.com slash the King cast. Love it. Well, again, thank mm-hmm. you so much. Um, I, I had an absolute blast and we covered some of my very favorite beasties from the bestiary. <laughs> um, Glad we could assist. <laughs> <laughs> All in a day's work. Well, uh, thank you to the folks at home and uh, we will catch you next time. Once more, I'd like to extend a special thanks to our guests this episode and to all of you out there listening. From the dawn of recorded human civilization, we've been fascinated by monsters and the monstrous. They've inhabited our dreams and nightmares. They've been our protectors and our villains. They've symbolized our fears and vices, our hopes and potential. Fears of creatures and the night that nourishes them were key inspirations and fuel for the rise of human civilization, the need to get out of the shadows, behind the walls, and into the light. In many ways, understanding our monsters is an important part of understanding our world and ourselves. So thank you for taking this journey with us, we humanoids from the deep dive. (laughs) 